SCP-3333, The Tower. SCP-3333 is located near one of the most dangerous volcanoes in the world, potentially capable of wiping out tens of thousands of people. This certainly ranks it among some of the greatest threats in the natural world, and yet it pales in comparison to thousands of different anomalies in the SCP universe. Well, 3333 probably isn't capable of the same type of destruction as an active volcano, it is an insidious and terrifying horror. It also has a few exploration logs, so there's plenty of fun to be had. SCP-3333 is an anomaly located within the Suntop Fire Lookout in the Mount Baker Snoqualmie National Forest in the state of Washington. On the ceiling of the lookout is a trap door that leads upwards into an identical copy of the lookout, which also contains another trap door on the ceiling. These successive lookouts continue upwards, and we'll get to the exploration logs in a minute, but once passing through the first trap door, the view of the surrounding area changes. The topology is identical to the normal area, but no plant, animal, or human life has been observed. Climbing higher physically extends the lookout as well, along with the stairs alongside the lookout, which always lead down to the ground. 3333 was first discovered after the lookout was being restored following volcanic activity near Mount Rainier. The trap door was found padlocked, with no key found, so it was forced open by the foundation. Thus begins our first exploration log with a D-class being supervised by a Dr. Williams. Upon initially entering the anomaly on the second floor at the lookout, the D-class remarks that it's empty, but continues to climb upwards for an hour. Williams instructs him at this point to try the door and go outside. Upon opening the door, a strong wind blasts through into the lookout, throwing the D-class backwards. After a short struggle, the D-Class manages to close the door and is advised by Williams to stay inside for now. The D-Class continues traveling upwards for three hours as the sound of wind is now audible. He's given cognition tests every ten floors, with no significant changes as he continues. 180 floors up, the D-Class stops to eat some rations, and Williams gives him another cognition test. When the D-Class asks what the cognition tests are for, Williams admits that they're to test how thin the air is getting, as thin air would cause the D-Class's brain to slow down. It seems that the D-Class is not actually physically ascending as much as suspected, which isn't that surprising since it's an anomaly. Another four hours of climbing, and the sun outside of the lookout is setting, so the D-Class sets up a camp and sleeps through the night. In the morning, as he starts ascending again, the D-Class notices two small figures on a ridge southwest of the lookout. They are standing still, and can only be seen from the D-Class's perspective. While trying to get a better look using binoculars, the figures disappear out of sight behind the ridge. The D-Class remarks that they saw the reflection in his binoculars, and one of them pointed directly at him. More climbing up on the 345th floor, where the D-Class camps for the night again. In the morning, he forgets to turn his camera and microphone on until reminded, 
and expresses feelings of anxiety and unease, asking for the exploration to end. He claims that something is not right, and mentions writing on the walls, which Williams denies seeing. Williams insists he continues, however, and the D-Class complies, although he continues to ask to be allowed to return to the bottom. On the 527th level, the layout of the lookout drastically changes, with multiple copies connected to one another in a grid. None of the copies contain a trap door, and there doesn't seem to be any natural light outside, leaving it completely dark. The D-Class begins to panic, but Williams asks him to calm down and turn on his lights. His lights fail to turn on, revealing that the battery compartments are empty, and the backup batteries are also missing. At this point, the D-Class claims to see something, although the camera feed reveals nothing. He begs to be allowed to come down, but Williams only says that he'll be executed if he does. The camera and microphone feed cut out at this point, leaving the D-Class's fate uncertain. The sacrificial D-Class has been sent through, so it's time for the MTF to investigate. A five-man team equipped with standard-issue survival gear and recording equipment. All of their batteries and backup batteries are triple-checked. The team begins their ascent, with the sound of wind outside slowly decreasing as they continue. After several hours, they reach the point where the D-Class attempted to go outside and decide to try it for themselves. Upon opening the door, there is no burst of wind, and a member is easily able to step outside. The team leaves the lookout and begins to explore, finding the surrounding area identical to normal aside from the complete lack of plant or animal life. After several hours of finding nothing, the team returns to the lookout. Williams theorizes that if the whole world was similarly barren, it would account for the strong wind patterns, but it wouldn't explain the presence of oxygen. The team continues ascending for several days at a slower pace than the D-Class, camping each night and having no notable encounters. None of the team members report any auditory or visual hallucinations, and on the fourth day, they reach the top floor. This time, the batteries and the flashlights are still present, so they begin traversing across the grid of rooms. The rooms are connected by exterior walkways, and a team member pulls up a board to drop a glow stick down. There is nothing but darkness below them, and the glow stick doesn't seem to hit any bottom. Firing a signal flare into the air reveals a similar expanse of darkness, with no ceiling. The team doesn't find the D-Class's body or any of his equipment initially, so they spread out to fully explore the grid for an hour. Eventually, one of the team stumbles across the D-Class's empty backpack, with no signs of any struggle. At this point, they realize that one of their team is missing and doesn't respond on the radio. Their camera feed is also dark, so the rest of the team begins a search. During the search, two of the team suddenly fall over, as a faint dripping sound is heard. Microphones and cameras on both cut out, as well as on the missing team member. Another team member falls over, cutting out their mic and camera feeds as well, leaving only one member. The last member begins to panic, claiming that something is in the room with them. 
One by one, the microphones and camera feeds of the other members switch back on, with one of them saying that they tripped on something on the ground. As the team checks in, however, they report the incorrect call signs. The last team member's feeds also cut out, only to reactivate shortly afterwards, with them claiming that they saw it too, something spectral. Each of the team members begins reporting that they see something, something not right, but camera feeds show nothing unusual. As they discuss what they are seeing, they first claim it is a castle, then a mountain, then a ghostly mountain, and finally a flaming mountain, a tower of smoke and ash. One of the team orders them all to retreat, and the team begins to rapidly descend down the lookout. Several days later, they arrive back at base camp and display a definite unwillingness to re-enter the lookout. Well, in a lot of these types of situations, the first MTF would go missing, and the second, better MTF would be sent in to find them. Here, though, the first MTF made it back out, but don't want to go back in. Instead, for the third exploration attempt, the Foundation sends in a single specialist, codenamed Nullwalker. Nullwalker is a counter-memetic specialist who is deaf, blind, and mute. She communicates through a modified signaling system embedded in her hand. She's a counter-memetic specialist because memetic effects typically occur through being seen or heard, making her immune to many of them. After a few hours of ascending, she notes that someone is outside, watching her, but then corrects herself to say that it isn't watching, but it's doing something else. After climbing a total of 12 hours, Williams asks her if she needs to rest, but she says that someone is still there, and it's not safe. Instead, she takes 100 milligrams of amphetamine and continues. She asks if Williams can see something outside, and as she turns the camera, a flicker of motion is seen as something outside the window ducks down out of view. Nullwalker simply says, They know, and begins to rapidly climb upwards, with more flickers of motion visible on the camera outside of the lookout, and small rustling sounds occasionally heard over the wind. She's told to retreat, but she refuses and continues rapidly ascending for another hour, finally arriving at the top. She can sense that there's blood here, and no light, but since she doesn't turn on her flashlight, the camera can't see anything. A loud slam is heard in the distance, and she comes across a body. As she bends down, more rustling sounds can be heard, louder and closer, along with several squishing sounds. She feels the body and some blood, noting that the muscles are smooth and too soft and then feels hard metal. The rustling sounds grow in intensity around her until they are one continuous drone. She mentions metal and words before a thud is heard, and she signals only gibberish. Afterwards, she says that the lights are out, and asks, where is the light? She says there is a mountain and she needs to come down. Suddenly, her flashlight turns on, and the camera reveals a pile of muscles, organs, and bones in advanced decomposition. Nellwalker is clutching onto a dog tag, 
belonging to one of the members of the MTF. Well, that's very concerning, since all of the MTF members apparently made it down safe. The rest of that log is expunged, and we're informed in the next addendum that the entities from 3333 either killed or impersonated all members present at the temporary observation post. As it turns out, they had continued the facade of exploring 3333 for one month afterwards, continually requesting manpower and equipment, until a supply assistant managed to send an emergency message containing the third exploration log. Recontainment teams arriving at the outpost found it abandoned, and in total over 50 personnel were lost. So, we have some sort of anomalous entities that are capable of murdering and impersonating humans with unknown goals that are now out in the wild. A special task force is set up to hunt down all of these instances, but that's likely a tricky job. Sometime later, though, a message was received by the Foundation sent from Dr. Williams' cell phone. It doesn't seem to have been sent from inside SCP-3333, but the exact location has not been identified. The message contained the fourth and final exploration log, this time from Dr. Williams' perspective as she apparently fled into the lookout to escape from the anomalous MTF. As the footage starts, Williams is climbing upwards and breathing heavily, as gunshots can be heard down below. Eventually, she stops to rest and blocks off the lower trap door with a chair. She's covered in blood, holding a handgun, and she begins to cry. She says to the camera that the entities masquerading as the MTF tricked them because they had spoken with just the right amount of vagueness and no one would argue with a seasoned MTF that decided to retreat from an anomaly. As she's speaking, the trapdoor below her begins to rattle as someone tries to get in. A voice calls out to Dr. Williams, telling her that they are a different MTF that received a distress call coming from this outpost. They were attacked by the personnel assigned here, and demands that Williams let them in. Williams, having a modicum of intelligence, of course, doesn't fall for it. The voice says that they will treat her as an enemy agent if she doesn't let them in, but she just screams for them to stay back. The trapdoor begins being forced open, and several fingers begin to stick out, so Williams rushes over and stomps on the fingers. There is a tearing sound as they are pulled back under the trapdoor, and Williams fires two shots downwards before climbing up to the next floor. As she climbs, she blocks off each trapdoor behind her before stopping to vomit and cry again. Williams climbs for another 12 hours, non-stop, before collapsing into unconsciousness for two hours. She wakes up screaming, and then remarks that she's still here, and she's thirsty. At this point, it begins to rain outside of the lookout, so Williams laughs and steps outside to drink some of the rain. She returns shortly afterwards, and comments that it was salty, before continuing upwards. At some point, there is a knock on the exterior door of the lookout, so she stops and points her gun at the door. Then there is another knock on the other side of the lookout. Williams turns back and sees the D-Class standing outside the door, the one initially sent in. 
He asks the doc to be let in, but Williams continues to point his gun at him as she says that the D-Class never referred to her as Doc. If you go back and look at the first exploration log, you'll see that the D-Class did refer to Williams as Doc, but not initially. At first, he only called her Doctor, but after he camped for the second night, he woke up and immediately began referring to her as Doc instead. This is the point where the 3333 entity had taken his skin and began masquerading as him. Upon telling the entity this, the D-Class's face goes completely slack, and it says that it never really watched him. Ever since Williams was a child, though, it had always thought she had very pretty eyes. This is a pretty terrifying revelation, for obvious reasons. That these entities, which cut people open and wear their skins to pretend to be human, actually observe people throughout their lives, waiting for them. The entity breaks open the window on the door with its fist, drawing no blood upon doing so, and begins to open the door. Williams opens fire on it as it charges at her, and it collapses to the ground, writhing. The D-Class's skin only partially follows the motion of the writhing, as it's not perfectly attached to whatever is inside. Williams continues shooting, causing the entity to flip over and crawl away, its arms flapping behind it as if they were made out of rubber. The thing wearing the D-Class skin seems to be centered in its chest, as the rest of the skin flaps around it. Williams shoots the thing in the chest twice. There is a tearing sound, followed by a loud, dry thud. Williams vomits again, and points the camera at the D-Class, revealing a large black pile slumped against the broken window, with clear, gelatinous blood oozing out of it. Whatever the entity was, it seems to have had thick, semi-transparent wings. Williams attempts to throw up again, but then rapidly and quietly begins speaking about humans searching on a deep level for enlightenment, comparing it to heights, and here she is on a castle in the sky, or a mountain in the air, and at the top, there is nothing. As she approaches the top of the lookout, she mentions a null walker, and says that she finally did it. She turns on her flashlight on the top floor, and there is no sound or external light present. She calls out to see if anyone replies, but there is still only silence. She laments that there is nothing up here, and there never was, despite her hopes. As she sits down, footsteps can be heard in the distance, approaching her. The steps are uneven and rough, slamming down with each movement. The figure of Nullwalker enters the camera's view, her flesh unevenly stretched, with patches of it missing completely, revealing the writhing entity inside of her. Her head hangs limp, and she jerkily moves around the room with little sense of purpose or direction. Williams retches from the smell, and calls out to her by her real name, Annette. The entity swivels to look towards Williams, and something inside of her moves towards its head, raising it. There are scratches seen around the eyes and ears, and it attempts to speak, with only a wet, gurgling sound coming out. 
The entity apparently can't utilize Annette's body the same way that she could, and Williams calls out to her again before breaking into tears. She tries to shoot the entity repeatedly with her empty firearm to no avail. She drops the gun and falls to her knees as the entity approaches her slowly, the mass inside of her chest writhing as if to escape. William says that she is sorry as the flesh of Annette rips apart and a barbed stinger shoots out and hits Williams, causing her to collapse. A large black entity emerges out of the massacred remains of Annette with large semi-translucent wings and a large sucker appendage on its chest. It has no visible eyes, its skin is extremely thin, organs can be seen through some viscous internal fluid, but no bones can be seen. The entity approaches the paralyzed Williams and thrusts its chest appendage into the wound made by the stinger. A sucking noise is heard as chunks of semi-liquefied organs and bone emerge out of the back of the entity, leaving behind only an empty shell of skin. The entity contorts its body and slips into the wound, causing the skin of Williams to jerk as it fits into it. The skin of Dr. Williams stands up and turns off the camera. That's pretty horrible. The entities somehow are capable of observing humans from an early age, and somehow know which ones were likely to come into contact with this lookout. The Foundation stumbled upon this weird lookout anomaly, finding the trapdoor padlocked with no key. At the top of hundreds of floors is ultimately nothing, a dark room where the entities can murder explorers and take their skin so that they can come out into the real world. It would seem then that the entities created this anomaly for the specific purpose of doing so, creating something that encouraged researchers to send people into isolation with the allure of knowledge. Even at the end, Williams had hoped that there would be something to find at the top floor, but it was nothing more than an elaborate trap. The things happening outside of the anomalous lookout, the barren wasteland, the figures in the distance, and the weird weather were nothing but red herrings. Now, they're out of the lookout and capable of masquerading as anyone they want. Disgusting, horrific, and disturbing. What more do you want from an SCP?